Uh, welcome to the Coaching Playbook podcast. I'm Adrian O'Sullivan, and as the host of the Hurling mini series, I'll be having coaching conversations with some of the top performers in the Hurling coaching game. Today's show is once again sponsored by the Irish Strength and Conditioning Network. The Irish SNC Network is a diverse coaching network that includes members from a wide range of fields, from SNC coaches, sports scientists, and physiotherapists, students, hobbyists, and basically anyone with an interest in coaching at all levels of sport and performance. As a listener of the Coaching Playbook, the Irish SNC Network is offering a 30-day free trial for all our listeners. Simply use the code ISCNPLAY at checkout to access this fantastic opportunity and all the experience from the practitioners on that network. So today's guest is a vastly experienced coach who has operated at top level of GAA, Camogie and League of Ireland. Is uh, my SNC coach with Dublin Camogie team and completely changed my thinking on how a team should be conditioned. Welcome to the coaching playbook, Connor Clifford. Hi, Adrian. How are you? Thanks for having me happy on. happy with that intro? <laughs> I'm very flattered, yeah. <laughs> There's lots more I could have said as well, but we'll keep it. We'll, we'll keep it professional for the moment. Um, we won't go too we? <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> Connor, as I mentioned, vastly experienced s and coach, um, operated at the highest level across soccer and GAA. But just tell us a little bit about your own sporting background and how you ended up progressing down the S&C route then. Yeah, um... So I suppose my, well, like everybody, I would have played multiple sports when I was a kid uh, and constantly playing out in the street and that sort of stuff. Um, so I was always dabbling in different things. And then when I was about 14, 13 or 14, I got involved in boxing in the local boxing club. And that was one of the one I suppose I really stuck at and uh, that took off for me. Um, now, I would have even been in and out of boxing a little bit throughout the years of, uh, there might have been a, little bit, a couple of years of messing around as well, like, you know, um, and in the later teen years and early 20s and stuff, I started taking the boxing a little bit more seriously um, and became became quite interested in the S&C through boxing. So, uh, yeah, so in my later teen years or in my early 20s, the, one of the big boxers at the time would have been Manny Pacquiao. And he had a, it was at the time, I don't know if you would have ever seen those 24-7 documentaries that they'd done before big yeah, fights. Yes, yeah, yeah, so. Yeah, really good documentaries. Yeah, and he had a, an SNC coach who always featured very heavily in his twenty four sevens called Alex Ariza, who he just I suppose he just became the first big SNC coach in boxing. He would often share uh, tidbits from the fight camps, or you know, he, he had a he certainly had a different approach to training fighters than traditionally what would have taken place. Um, and so I just became interested in it through that. At the same time, I think Teen Nation and a couple of these other big blogs were, were sort of getting big. So there was a lot of information there around training and uh, gym culture and uh, the gym as a process, I suppose. And I just became obsessed with all that sort of stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, it just became a, a, a huge interest and passion of mine. Um, and I actually went to Maynooth initially to study, I was doing an arts degree. So I was two years into an arts degree studying sociology and geography before uh, I actually started the uh, the part-time S&C degree in Satanta. Um, and that actually crossed over with while I was still in Maynooth, I had already started that. Um, and I had a friend, Dahi McCabe, who was working in a place called NAD at the National Athlete Development Academy. So he invited me down one day to help out with uh, doing some assessments with a team. So I went down and did that. And I just I just sort of hung around that place then uh, <laughs> for the next couple of months. So 
just going there most days it was obviously an unbelievable training facility so i was going there you know being able to use the facility to train and then just helping them out with whatever i could whether it was you know moving things around in the facility or if a team was coming in to help with some sort of assessments or whatever else was taking place um, and that in itself i suppose turned into an informal uh like an informal let's say you know an internship and towards the end of that after a couple of months there martin and Murray, the two directors of the company just offered me a job they obviously they obviously just see me hanging around <laughs> yeah. long enough there thinking, <laughs> we might as well make use of this fella like you know um so i wasn't there too long i wasn't working there too long i i maybe i got the job in august of 2013 martin who was the boss there was the snc coach for the dublin senior footballers at the time he 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 went with them and jim gavin started with them and uh through him then the under 21 it would have made sense at the time as well the under for, to have some progression from under 21 to senior so they came into nada and me and he took them on as a as their little project uh, in 2014 and uh, moved on then after that so i stayed with the under 21 the dublin under 21 football team through 2014 2015 and 2016 seasons um so that was good good experience there was an all-ireland win and three leinster wins in there obviously working with uh an amazing management team who have gone on now to win a senior all ireland with the lads this year um so yeah great experience unbelievable experience to get at that early stage of my career um and to be mentored by martin kennedy and to be just around uh that place and those people was was uh was you, you literally couldn't uh you couldn't ask for better certainly not in the country of ireland anyway um while i was with them then so while i was with uh Dublin under 21 football in 2015 then I was appointed as the SNC coach for Shamrock Rovers first team as well so I was with them for the 2015 and 2016 seasons um in 2016 I opened my first sort of physical gym as well myself so in the meantime between me beginning with the under 21 football team and finishing with them in 2016 Martin had moved on Martin the boss and that had moved on to uh take a role with the RFU now that was closed down so I I was asked to stay on with uh, the under 21s and to stay on with Shamrock Rovers. So I set up as a sole trader and was sort of operating as just a contractor, uh, bouncing between both of those teams. But luckily enough, I had sort of had always planned on opening my own location. And uh, I opened a little sort of brick and mortar gym in 2016. That necessitated me then to step away from teamwork just so I could concentrate on getting some clientele into that business and get built up. Um, so I was there for a short time, moved to a bigger location. Once I was in that bigger location, then uh, Brian Cullen, who was the director of performance for Dublin GAA, approached me about taking a team on. So obviously I jumped at that and it, it turned out the team anyway was um, the Dublin Senior Hurlers. It was Pat Gilroy's first year with them. So uh, I started with them in, I think, maybe October, November 2017 to uh, get going for the 2018 season. Uh, Pat obviously stepped down abruptly at the end of that year because of his own sort of um, career requirements. Maddie came in. I stayed with Maddie for another two years then. And uh, once again, I moved location and started something new uh, up here in Round Towers, Clondalkin, where I am now in Round Towers GAA Club. Uh, so we moved in today. have an unbelievable facility here. We moved in here. We operate our commercial business out of here. And... Um, we're in charge of the physical development pathway for the club here as well so we work with under 11s all the way up and um, in round towers so i sort of stepped away again to try and you know uh build the business up and, and sort of get that arm of the business going 
And then in 2021, I was approached by uh, Adrian O'Sullivan to come on board. I think you were in your second year with the Dublin Camogie team by that stage, uh, or yeah. going into your second year with the Dublin Camogie team. So uh, you thankfully asked me to come on board there. Uh, that was an unbelievable year, a great year of work, uh, really enjoyable, really fruitful, I think. Um, yeah, so I was with, I was with the Dublin Camogie team then for 2022. Um, and then again, had no county stuff on in 2023, still busy with lots of club stuff. And going forward now for 2024, I'm with the uh, Westmead Senior Hurlers. So, uh, yeah, I've been bopping around with different county teams for uh, a lot of my years anyway, um, which has been very fortunate, definitely very lucky to be in that position. Um, and then working with all sorts of clients. So we obviously have Armour Performance, the, the business that I run here. We have... Um, that plug will cost you. We have, yeah <laughs> <laughs> we're keeping track of the, of the mentions here <laughs> 50 oh, euro so. mention this podcast doesn't run itself connor <laughs> i thought there was a free sponsorship going here now <laughs> uh yeah so the business that we run here we would deal with all sorts of athletes from so we deal with general general population people and athletes from all levels so like i said under 11 all the way up in the gaa we have powerlifters we have uh, combat athletes we have uh cross-country runners, Ironman, everything. Um, so, yeah, we're sort of spread out around uh, a lot of different areas, but a lot of the focus is on sport and on sports performance or strength and conditioning as well. No, it's interesting. There's a, there's a lot to unpack there, I suppose. Um, one thing that jumps out to me, first of all, before I ask a, a different question, like, obviously, you kind of put yourself out there working for free, just hanging around, nada, trying to trying to make an impact like you'd hear of a lot of SNC coaches kind of thinking that just because they have a degree, they're going to jump into a job. Like, is there a lesson there for young SNC coaches? You have to put yourself out there and kind of, I suppose, do the internships and get the experience before you can expect to step into into something a little bit bigger. Um, maybe, maybe, yeah. I, I think the whole notion of internships. I don't know. Um how viable that is going forward i think people are starting to cop on a little bit there because there, there are some very big organizations like the irfu and others that are looking for interns with master's level degrees and stuff which is just ridiculous like you know um, yeah. they they can afford to pay people and they should be mm -hmm. um but i think i think so much of the job has to do with your ability to stand in front of people and talk to them and relate to them and uh, create some buy-in and hear what hear what their goals are or, or what their sort of uh, what makes them tick in a way I suppose and um, and try to use that to help them along. So the only way to do that is to actually get busy doing it. You know, uh, so mm -hmm. even for us when we're hiring new coaches here, one of the determining factors for us is ha has that person coached before. And it doesn't really matter what level they've coached at as long as we can see. That they have gone out and tried to get busy coaching and that that would show them that they actually have a clear passion for coaching as well and not not um you know we might get plenty of applicants that are more into the sports science and the stuff or you know might be more into i don't know some other type of uh area within within sport but not so much coaching um and for us it's always important the people that work here need to be need to be coaching first like you know um so it, certainly i'd say for yeah, if you're an aspiring SNC coach, especially if you're involved with GAD, the opportunities to work with teams and guys just ridiculous. Like, you know, there's any amount of teams in every club that you could go and work with. Um, so if you're an aspiring SNC coach, I would say definitely do get busy coaching. For us, even when we were in NADA, uh, we had, so my friend Dahi is also a boxing background as well, and we had groups of boxers that we were bringing in there 
uh, and working with for free just the same again to get busy coaching get busy programming um you know the best way to develop is to learn as you're doing the job really i suppose yeah communication is so important i think there's there's hundreds of people out there that have loads of knowledge but if you can't communicate it it's, it's a waste of time and i suppose that these are the soft skills that you need to learn um, to be a coach isn't it and they're not necessarily going to be picked up as you say in coaching courses or anything uh, i'd just like to apologize yeah, yeah. to any listeners who are offended by connor calling the ga gah that's okay as well that's, that's all right. we'll move on from that um to go back to talking about manny packhouse coach i didn't quite catch his name there but this guy obviously kind of changed the approach to snc coaching and boxing so it's an interesting i suppose the thing that i i think a lot about is that players these days have more information at their fingertips than ever before right and, and all this information is out there and for from that point of view i suppose i feel as a hurling coach i have to be on the ball and have to be up to date with modern methods and stuff like that did your i suppose research your education in fact you were learning about snc did that lead to any clashes with your boxing coaches with regards to the methods they wanted to use because i suppose boxing coaching would have been seen as old school you know you get out you pound the roads you hit the bags like were you trying to bring something different to it to delete any clashes and can you tell us a little bit about that yeah probably very much so so the other snc coach by the way his name was alex ariza uh now in hindsight having had a bit more education and obviously uh, a good bit more experience and stuff there might have been a lot a lot of stuff that he did back then that i would disagree with now like you know um but the main thing was that there was an integrated snc coach there in the camp and he was very much front and center when it came to uh i suppose a lot of the media stuff and that you know um whereas traditionally and what you still see now is even if a boxer has an snc coach that will be sort of exterior to his his normal boxing work so there, there might be not a whole lot of cohesion between the boxing coach and between the snc coach and uh, usually the boxer is paying for it off his or her own back and mm-hmm. um, so it's still it's still not not uh, as fully advanced as it should be certainly in pro boxing anyway um that's crazy though, myself, like, yeah uh, in teams in yeah, team sports yeah. if the coach and the snc coach aren't on the same page it's going to lead to, lead to chaos like i can't see how to be any different yeah. to the with a boxer you know yeah no it, it it it's certainly not ideal and, and i think uh, a lot of boxing coaches even though they have the best will in the world a lot of boxing coaches tend to be controlling people uh whether that's how they are by nature or because of the way it, it's always been is that the boxing coach ends up being the coach the the cut man the person who wraps the hands uh, the person who who organizes the fight manages the fire the snc coach everything else uh so when that's the way it always has been done it probably is hard to change that like you know um but from my own perspective i don't like the same thing when when we went when we boxed like it was you you go down to the club you do you know your warm-up your uh bit of shadow boxing bag work pad work sparring so it always worked in that order uh so snc didn't really feature into it too much so anything i was doing was really directed by myself and what i was reading online and that sort of stuff um and it was woeful anyway i know now when i look back it was all woeful <laughs> stuff like you know but uh i think it, so when it, it, it's probably nearly two sides of something there in that uh boxing itself probably the the sport itself wasn't there was no appreciation of snc there or, or even if there was an idea of snc um you know it, it wouldn't be what i would class as like uh you know sports performance training or trending condition you know people would just slap the name trending condition on a circuit class or whatever the case was uh and then for me personally i probably 
I probably ended up having too much of a focus on SNC or too much of a focus on the strength and conditioning aspect for myself in that uh, it, it certainly wasn't the limiting factor for me. It wasn't fitness or wasn't strength. You know, I probably would have been better off, even though I did make, you know, a, a concerted effort to get out and get, you know, competitive or non-friendly spars and um, get plenty of fights and stuff. But certainly for me, I probably just needed more time between the ropes to get better at boxing and uh, better at the sport. What, 130 you know, kilos? Was you getting the face jabbed off yourself in the ring? <laughs> <laughs> this is it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How much of a consolation the cut man tried to exactly, pat you yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then obviously in boxing because it's a weight, a weight, uh, weight categorized sport. Uh, you do have to have quite a bit of, uh, it, I suppose it's a, it's a fine line, you know, between getting your training load right for improving your strength and improving your power, and then you know making sure you're not uh, your training load and your diet aren't getting to a point where you're going to end up in another weight category, like you know. But it, thankfully, I think if anything, I think nutrition has probably expanded in um, boxing a bit better than. S&C has like you know so a lot of boxers do have seemingly anyway good support there from a nutrition point of view mm, you'd, still, you'd still hear some horror stories around combat sports and cutting and all that as well and you but I suppose it, it probably has improved okay like a lot of what we spoke about there is focused on an individual how did you find it then transitioning from I suppose being focused on yourself or maybe focused on individuals to having to coach a team of I suppose 20 individuals because that is what teams are for are a collective of individuals and they all have different needs so did you find that difficult or how, how was the transition um i can't no i can't say i can't i don't think being involved in, in, in an individual sport has sort of made the transition into coaching a team sport any harder i the only thing that's probably and and this might have nothing to do with having been a background of boxing it might be just me personally <coughs> but i find it hard um and you, you probably wouldn't see this too much at, at county level, more so club level. I find it hard to see people on the same team given different levels of effort. Uh, it's it's hard to see that and, and you know, not, not be frustrated by it when you see somebody who, who clearly isn't putting in the same effort as the rest of their teammates, uh, even though they, they all should be working towards a common goal. So that, that can be hard at club level. You just have to get used to it a little bit, I suppose, and understand that for some people, there's a bit of a, you know, it's, it's a mixture of, you know, trying to perform on the pitch and having maybe a social outlet and, you know, just turning up and training with their mates or whatever the case is. Mm -hmm. uh, it is difficult because like, you, you just yeah. don't have that, you know, you go to the manager, ah, look, your man isn't putting it in the gym, but he, he hasn't missed a free since 2017, you know? So it's like, yeah. Yeah. we can't, we literally can't function yeah. without him and there's no one else there. So it yeah. is difficult. From a manager's perspective, perspective, it is like a club is, is such a balancing act compared with county where you can say that, lad, listen, there's another 15 of you waiting to get in this team, like buck up or as, as David Hardy said, fit in or fuck off. The last day, yeah, but, exactly. Yeah, but yeah. You can't really do that at club level, can you? Like, it's a bit more. Yeah, and even, so even at county more. level, you still have to. You still have to. Uh, I mean, not every county is a wash with you know a wash with talent or a wash with players who are willing to commit. And um, mm -hmm. and even still, you know, like at the end of the day, if somebody's a superstar. Maybe some of what makes that person a superstar is uh, is that little bit of cheekiness and that little bit of uh, you know cuteness about them that you know they'll cut a corner here or or you know they mm -hmm. you know that whole thing about if you're if you're uh, not cheating you're not trying you know um, so I they think, are uh, rare though like my experience and what your experience is is that the the top class performers are the ones who are putting it in as well like it's rare yeah, absolutely, it's rare, absolutely, it's rare that yeah. the guys who cut the corners are the ones that that shoot the lights out every day of the week as well like. 
it does happen but yeah. it's yeah yeah and i think overall there's a, a consistency thing there so if you're, if you're somebody who trains consistently and performs consistently you, you can be counted on for the big days you know if you're somebody who who you know can turn up in one way or turn up in another way it, I, I suppose it makes it very hard then for a management team to to really sort of uh put stock in you when it matters like you know that's i suppose mm. the big thing there um but yeah i think certainly there's a big difference between uh club and county there and like i said for me i'm not sure if it was because i had a, a background in an individual sport where you know i was sort of responsible for my own performance and that was all that mattered um but it does make it hard to uh to not to get frustrated by that i suppose well there, there is that more i suppose individual responsibility in that if you don't put in the work something's going to batter you in the ring there's <laughs> sometimes it you can hide in a match maybe or get away with or if you are the free taker you, know, you get a clap in the back for hitting 11 points or whatever whereas there's nowhere to hide really in an individual sport is there it's it's just exactly, on you yeah yeah, yeah you know and there's i suppose there's the performance aspect how you do on the day of the fight but also you know training wise um it's a lot harder to you can't really hide your your training from yourself like you know so uh Maybe yeah, maybe when you're involved in an individual sport, you have that temperament more where you feel like you need to have trained to your to the best of your ability to be able to perform. Maybe there's people, you know, get away with it a little bit more in team sport, and you might have more of that personality there. Like, um, mm. but look, there's certainly just I've definitely came across plenty of people in boxing who wouldn't train very hard and still happily turn up and have a fight. Like, you know, it's um, <laughs> yeah, for scrapper. <laughs> maybe it's just me. Yeah, maybe it's just me. If you're not fighting inside the ring, they'll be fighting outside Supermax. <laughs> yeah, you have those ads as well. Um, so you're talking about the difference there between, I suppose, I suppose between club teams and county teams and different attitude. You've obviously worked um, as a professional coach with Shamrock Rovers. Um, what's the difference like between a professional sports team and an inter-county GA team in your eyes? And bear in mind now that most of the guys listening here think that David Clifford could go and, and knock 15 or 16 goals in for Man City. I, I, I draw if he wanted to <laughs> yeah but like, is, what are the key differences i suppose attitude wise i suppose setup wise resources wise like if there is any at the top level yeah I, I i'm not too sure how much i can you know how much i can offer there because when i was at shamrock rovers uh the league the league of ireland was still sort of clawing its way back out of the recession um the personalities that were there even from you know an executive level at the club uh there was a lot of people there who who probably weren't too concerned with well they certainly they, they there was people at executive level in the club there who weren't uh too bought into the whole idea of snc there were plenty of players there who were the same it was a bit of a weird a weird um mix of people there and that you had some highly highly professional people who had spent most of their careers in the UK, the likes of Damien Duff, uh, Steve McPhail, Keith Fahey. So they were exemplary in their approach. Um, and that's why they were so successful in the first place. You had some other people who probably could have made much more themselves, but never really cared enough. So the League of Ireland is sort of where they landed. And then you had some people who were uh, probably exceeding their potential in one way. Uh, so they were trying really, really hard, but maybe they didn't have that much talent. So again, the League of Ireland at that time is where they landed. The League is just even watching from the sides that the league has definitely come on leaps, leaps and bounds in that sort of way like you know um i mean the quality of the play is just unbelievable anyway compared to when i was there but i know for a fact from speaking to the, i have friends that are uh, involved in snc in the league i have a brother-in-law that's involved in coaching in the league and i know for a fact it's uh, it's much more professionalized now and much more advanced uh facilities wise and everything them top teams they all have a uh, you know like when when i was with shamrock rovers even the gym facilities were 
uh, most of the equipment was mine that I sort of carried over from the back garden shed. Like, you know, uh, mm-hmm. so it was very, very, uh, like, if anything, I would have said the under 21, the Dublin under 21 football team had a better setup than Shamrock Rovers at that time. Uh, Whereas I imagine it's totally changed. It is totally changed now. I know for a fact that it's totally changed. Certainly in the case of Shamrock Rovers, anyway, I know they have a fully professionalized setup now. They have, you know, uh, they didn't even have GPS when I was there. They have GPS units. They have their own training ground. They have their own gym. Um, all the players are full-time now. There would have been still a few when I was there that were part-time, you know, that type of thing. Mm. Um, so it is totally different now. So, um, It really kind of... I suppose it comes down to the fact that the, the Gaelic footballers were probably labelled amateur but were professionals and the soccer players were labelled professionals were probably amateurs with really yeah, regards absolutely. to the approach, yeah. you know, which is which is very interesting. Yeah, um, yeah. now there were there were brilliant personalities there as well and people that really did uh buy in and um you know there there was a lot of good work being done there as well, but it doesn't take too many to to sort of derail the whole thing, like you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, certainly, yeah, I think the league is in a far better place. And look, a lot of that is to do with the league got flooded with cash. And that's what happened there. Like, you know, that's that's the way football is, or soccer is, I think. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But our big takeaway from this, though, is that Dublin GA have more money than Shamrock Rovers. That's the key thing. That's what that's what we know. That's what they did at the time. <laughs> um, that's interesting. I, it, it's very interesting. I didn't realise that, I suppose, that the League of Ireland has come on such a journey in such a short time as well. So it's a very, very interesting insight. Um, look, one of my favorite saying is what's measured gets managed. Okay. So I suppose as a coach, how much do the numbers impact on what you do on the training pitch and on the gym? So you've mentioned uh, GPS there, obviously testing and things like that. Just give us a little insight um, into exactly how much the numbers play in what you do day to day. Uh, yeah, so a, f- a fair bit, I'd imagine. Um, so you have your saying, so there's another one if you're not assessing, you're just guessing. And uh, so a lot of this, a lot <laughs> like of the stuff I do would start with some sort of assessment. So, uh, like from a gym point of view, you'd have a couple of key lifts that you're going to want to have an idea of what their, their one RM is or what their maximum on that lift is. Um, so that's from sort of having a profile of the player and also for being able to inform the player of what weights to use when he or she is in the gym then after that like you know uh there'd be a jump profile taking place there so a few different types of jumps the idea being there and you get an idea of what that player is like from a power production point of view so some some players are going to be very very good at uh, the velocity end of the spectrum so the more speed related exercises so your plyometrics uh your sprints and that sort of stuff and then some players are going to be very good at the force end of stuff. So uh, that might be more like a loaded jump, uh, a hang power clean, or just the traditional strength training stuff like your your squat, your deadlift, or your bench press. Um, so if, if you have an idea of that sort of profile of a player, for one thing, it allows you to, to monitor those sort of uh, those key data points, those jumps. So over time, you're looking for all of those to move up. Uh, and in particular, you're probably looking for their basic counter movement jump. So just a normal unloaded jump. That's the one that's a general indicator of uh, lower body power. That's the one that you're probably, from a jumping point of view, that's the one that you're probably going to look at most often. Um, so yeah, that that would help determine exactly what way you'll go with that player's gym program. Um, and, and this is for me personally, some of that will depend on the time of the year as well. So in the early part of the year, I'm a big fan of trying to work a lot on what that player might 
be considered weaker. So if I have a very force dominant player, so think of like, you know, you're sort of big, tall, massive, sort of whatever, a corner forward or somebody that's up there to win the ball and to just, you know, plow through defenders. Um, that, that player is probably going to be very good at the force end of stuff. So very good at lifting, obviously very strong, uh, probably good at uh, jumping with, with loads, so doing loaded counter movement jumps or whatever the case is. Uh, and he's probably not going to be very fast. Obviously, if he has a huge mass, a huge body mass, uh, he has more to move around the pitch. So it's going to be harder for him to to uh, interact with the ground at speed. Um, so a lot of what he does early on in the year might be more focused around that velocity and the stuff. And then typically what people are good at is what they enjoy doing. So that player, for the most part, is going to love bench pressing, is going to love deadlifting, is going to love hang power cleans, whatever the case is. So when we get closer to the to the media end of the season, uh, when you want that player to feel as prepared as possible, I'll try and give them a little bit more of that type of stuff. Some of that is obviously down to, like I said, down to who what they're like physically, and then some of it is down to you know that that sort of player's personality and uh, mm-hmm. their own psyche. So you're going to have to get to know the player a little bit for that as well. But we That's will do that power profile at the start. Does- those soft skills yeah. like it's it's like from all the guests we've had on it's just it's 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 just such a big thing is like trying to connect that on that level with the player and those soft skills and just the, it's that old saying the the only way to treat everyone the same is to treat them differently it's kind of it's so important yeah. isn't it like you have to understand who yeah. you're dealing with yeah exactly yeah and uh the good thing, I suppose, the good thing about those tests then is they create a conversation piece as well. So you can actually talk to the player while you're doing the test. It's a good opportunity to talk to the player and get to know them. And then um, as you're going along, then when you're reflecting or debriefing the player on the on the results of the tests, and as you're going along in the program, they're a good thing to refer back to. Remember when we did this test and you scored, you know, X on that, or you know, you didn't score great on that. That's why we're doing this exercise here is to try and improve this. So it can create a bit of context for the program for the player. Um, and then in addition to those gym-based tests, then we'd, we'd have some sort of conditioning test that we do on the field. Uh, the last couple of years for me, that's been a Bronco test. Um, uh, that, that's just, I suppose that's just what I've been going with the last couple of years. And because I've been using it, I'm continuing to use it because I have good, uh, sort of good normative data there, let's say across various different sort of populations, different levels of playing. Um, uh, but uh, like from a, a practical point of view if there are other coaches out there using other tests that doesn't bother me as, as long as for me an aerobic test should be a test of aerobic capacity so i think the mistake people can make is trying to make it look too much like the game or too much like you know what what they think hurling is or whatever what, what they mm-hmm. think you know gaelic football is or whatever uh so you're testing aerobic capacity so it should be a fairly straightforward running test and um, there are other ways of testing other qualities uh, and the only thing that's really specific to the game, I suppose, is playing the game itself. So I think getting caught up too much in, in trying to replicate the game in your testing can be a mistake. I'd say a lot of like, our listeners might use mass tests as well. Kind of, like, do you have any, is, there, is that a preference thing for yourself? Is there differences between the two? Or have you a little bit of insight into that for us, just from your own experience? Um, yeah, well, so essentially they're the same thing. Um, so whether you do a 1,200-meter shuttle, whether you do a 1,200-meter sort of, you know, test around the circular track, whether you do 1,400 meters um, or whatever way you want to break it down, uh, as long as you're factoring in, if there are turns there, they need to be factored. So there is an equation for, for factoring those turns into the Bronco. The other reason I like the Bronco is because it takes up at most 60 meters space. So 
in the winter time, you know yourself when you're on a boggy pitch, <laughs> there'll be sections of that pitch that are totally unrunnable. So you can usually eke out a good sort of 60 meter bit of space there. Um, the grounds man of the after. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's very repeatable then as well. You're not you're not too tied down to needing, say, a 100 meter length or a 140 meter length if you're doing a 1400 meter uh, 10 times or whatever the case is. So um, the only thing. Uh, I, I know lots of coaches probably would have traditionally used a 1K test and probably lots of them still do use a 1K test. I think if you're going to um, estimate mass, if you're going to estimate maximum aerobic speed from a test, in theory, the test needs to take around five minutes. It doesn't matter if it's a little bit longer than that uh, or even maybe slightly shorter than that isn't too much of a worry. But even at club level, you'll get players doing 1Ks and three and a bit minutes and that's it's probably just a bit too fast for you to estimate mass from in that um, it's uh, if they're a fast player, they can hide behind their speed quite a bit. And then also if um, if uh, if it's if it's that fast, they haven't really taxed into their aerobic system effectively yet or properly yet. So in theory, what mass is, is, is uh, like what it sounds like maximum aerobic speed. So it's the it's the speeds that you can run at while utilizing your aerobic system as the main energy source or as the primary energy source. Um, yeah, so if that test is too short, you haven't effectively reached their mass, like, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. So uh, so I would try and pick a distance, regardless of what, what way you're doing that test. Try You should have an idea if you're working with a team or if you've worked with teams at that level before, what distance will get the majority of those players uh, in five minutes or more. Now, you're always going to run in, like, we, like, at club level especially, like, you'll do it and you'll have players coming in at four and a half, four, 45 minutes. And then you're always going to have some players coming in, unfortunately, around the seven-minute mark or whatever the case is. Yeah. Um, but obviously, you're just trying to suit it as best you can to to the majority of the players or to the to the main sort of group of players that are in the squad. Yeah, no, that's that's a really interesting insight. I think mass is easy because the maths is easy on it as well. So I think if a, if a lad is on his own, it's kind of uh, rep, it's kind of easy to replicate. But like that makes a lot of sense what you're saying there. It has to be a certain distance to to really be a proper gauge of the of the aerobic capacity. So I think. That's a, that's a big takeaway for, for people listening. Um, you were probably the first coach, Connor, who showed me how to use GMS properly, or GPS properly. Is G, GMS is something we use in my day job. It's completely <laughs> different. Uh, GPS. Um, I suppose there's probably still a cohort of GA people out there who just think that it's used to take Colin Boyle off after 55 minutes of a match. But like, can you explain to our listeners in simple terms, I suppose, for people who've never used it before, what the benefits are for using GPS to prepare teams? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I, I suppose there are two within sports science or sports performance. Uh, there are two sort of camps when it comes to GPS of how to use them. And obviously, look, there are people that fall in the middle or whatever. But I suppose there's a lot of people who use it. It, it is in its in its basic essence, it's a monitoring tool or it's a tool for, you know, uh, making sure that training load is is uh, is appropriately dosed. Um, so there's a term in sports science called the minimum effective dose. And basically what that's getting at is that the, the, the training load that we apply should be the minimum, the minimum amount of training load that will yield the gain or the adaptation or the result that we want. So from a point of view of, let's say, I, if three sets of five on a deadlift will get me, you know, 90% of the results, and five sets of five will get me a hundred percent. Then maybe the minimum effective dose there might be the three sets of five. So that's 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 a sort of paradigm or a way of thinking within S and C. 
I probably fall into the latter category. The other one, so there's another term, uh, maximum recoverable volume or maximum adaptive volume, essentially the same thing. Um, and that would be probably what I use the GPS for myself. Uh, I, I, I imagine I, you know, that might not be the case with a lot of S and T practitioners, but uh, it is, I suppose it just boils down to individual philosophy. But for me, the whole point of using the GPS is to allow the team to train as hard as possible. That's that's the way I would look at it. Um, so obviously, you're not doing anything reckless. You're not doing anything negligent. Um, but if you can systematically and continuously apply a progressively heavier training load on the pitch, so whether that's through your high speed running, uh, HMLD, XLs, D cells, whatever, you're going to be looking at all those metrics. And over time, certainly in that pre-season phase, you want that number to creep up, creep up, creep up, creep up. So that basically what you're trying to do is you're trying to improve the team and the players' tolerance to training so that they can effectively train at a higher level. They can they can train at a higher intensity more often without needing breaks for recovery, without worrying about breakdown from injury, without worrying about a drop in performance if you have a game coming up or whatever the case is. Um, so that, I suppose that just goes down to, a, like I said, a personal philosophy. A big thing that I believe in is that the hardest working team wins the All-Ireland Championship every year or wins the championship, whatever the sport is, every year. Um, so I don't think there's anybody out there that could could convince me that over the past six, seven years, the Limerick Corland team haven't accumulatively been the hardest working team over those that period of years. Likewise, with the Dublin football team when they were in their pomp, I don't think anybody else was working harder than them. Um, and like I said, it's accumulative, so it, it could be over many years. You get these teams that say Tyrone won a couple of years ago. Maybe they had a good year the year before and then a really good year that year. Um, and by hard work, I don't just mean you know training hard on the pitch or training hard in the gym because actually for lots of players that's easy they they enjoy that part of it you know so hard work would be you know uh your video analysis uh looking after your nutrition making sure your lifestyle is right making sure you're reflective and introspective and trying to improve yourself as a player trying to improve your own performance mindset whatever the case is hard work is different things for different people and it's all, all of those things matter to a team so I think the, the the team that wins at the end of every year is going to be the team that does all of those things um, at the highest level to the best or best of their ability. And the SNC forms part of that. The training load forms part of that. The gym load forms part of that. Over time, you need to be accumulating more and more of that good work. Uh, and for me, then that's so that's sort of the 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 way I think about using the GPS is not not in any one session. How can we do more? But over time, over big blocks of time. How can we get more work into this team so that at the end of the day, we need them to be able to go out onto the pitch and train hurling at a very intense, fast, high level for longer and longer durations if possible. Obviously, not to, we're not trying to keep them out there for two hours, but we want to be able to train at a high intensity for long periods of time. That means they're going to get more touches. It means they're going to be getting more tackles. It means they're going to be getting more changes of direction. It means they're going to be getting more uh, opportunities to think about the game under those sort of strict, fast game demands. Um, yeah, so that that would be how I think about using the GPS. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you would need for for that to to work for you. Obviously, you need to be tracking every single session that every single player does. Uh, you need to have your sort of KPIs identified. So what are the metrics you're going to be looking at? Uh, you need to look at 
uh, acute chronic workload ratio. So making sure that there are no major spikes in training and at the same time, making sure that there are no major lulls in training. So uh, if you have a big lull in training load, certainly if it's, if it's not a planned lull, it's not a deload or anything like that, um, then, then all you're doing is giving yourself, you know, more work to do to sort of climb back up to where you were at uh, from a training load point of view. Like, so I think a, a little bit of consistency in loading is important all the time. And then making sure in that pre-season period that you're trying to steadily increase the load the whole time. So that by the time you get to the, the meaty part of the season, the championship stages, uh, your players can tolerate a high workload. They can they can have a game on the weekend and still train very hard the next week. And then, like I said, you're not worried about injury. You're not worried about performance drop off. Uh, yeah, so that's pretty much how I think about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think here now whether I taught any differently about SNC before I met you or whether I'm nodding along with everything you're saying because you've been absolutely brainwashed. But um, I suppose there, there's a lot of things, a lot of things to unpack there. I think the coach SNC physio relationship is absolutely crucial. It kind of goes back to what we said at the start. Um, like you have to trust the physio, she has to trust what's what's uh, been done on the SNC side, and the coach can't operate outside the realm of that. Like in fairness, we were very good at planning the sessions in Dublin and like it was very much look this is what we can do this week or this is what we can't do this week or job it wasn't a case that i was rocking on as the coach going right lads we're gonna fucking flog them into the ground now because they were used to this on saturday or whatever it's like yeah. there was no reactive stuff it was all planned workload is planned i think my overriding philosophy as a manager or a coach is that you have to get all your players to the start of the championship in the best condition possible I think it's it's a, like I think it's a good philosophy to use because ultimately, if you don't get the training loads right, you're going to lose players to injury. You know, if you if you don't get the training load right, you're not going to be fit enough. I think it's like it's kind of an overriding philosophy for me. Is like if we're starting championship second week in August, my whole year is based around getting as many players as possible in the best condition by the time we start championship. Um, absolutely yeah. yeah but like a real interesting thing you said there as well is talking about acute acute loads and i suppose i'm just trying to give the, i suppose the coach's perspective on it because maybe a lot of our listeners might be coaches as opposed to snc coaches and one of my bugbears is uh detraining in between championship games i think like especially for the guys who aren't getting game time you can actually see lads disimproving as the as the season goes on, as the championship goes on. They've got to a certain point before championship and then nothing. Like I'm a big believer in big load on a Tuesday night after a championship match and just reducing the time, not the intensity. Like that's the mm-hmm. that's the that's the way I would go about it. So I think their takeaways for a coach as well is that you can trade on through championship. We can be a bit I suppose wrapping lads in cotton wool a little bit at times, but um no, a lot, lot of interesting takeaways. Um takeaways there, Connor. I suppose look, a lot of our listeners will be club coaches, right? And we've said before, the coaching at club level can be quite difficult. Teams may not have a full-time SNC or mightn't have the resources maybe of a county team and stuff like that. I suppose if we go back to maybe the pitch conditioning first and foremost, right? Because obviously we wouldn't recommend that anyone goes and takes a team into the gym if they're not qualified. So we're not even going to go there. But can you give some maybe easy implementable tips to coaches that are kind of trying to run their own field conditioning like as we said, test and retest and easy implementable stuff like that. Yep. Uh, well, certainly, I'd say perform some sort of assessment uh, at the start, or you know, yeah. obviously it's fine, or it's probably it's probably advisable to do maybe one or two sessions if you're coming back off an off season period, uh, especially in a club where you you haven't been given um, 
you, you can't stand over players maybe maybe staying fit over the off season and uh, and having done you know an appropriate amount of running as well. So you know if you want to do a couple of sessions of ease and work, that's fine. But early on, I would say get some sort of assessment done with them. Uh, like there are plenty of them, like you were saying, some sort of mass time trial or the Bronco uh, or even a yo-yo test would be fine. Um, but yeah, get some sort of aerobic capacity test done with them. Uh, that'll give you an idea of where the squad is at as a whole. It'll give you an idea of where there are players who need lots of work, where players who maybe don't need as much work. And then from there, try to cater to the individuals. So not even from an, on an individual player by player basis, but certainly, you know, grouping players off into, uh, let's say your fittest group, your middle group and your, your least fit group, because in the same way, it's not going to make sense to bring a team into a gym and turn around to everybody in that gym and say, right, lads, we're all doing four sets of five at 80 kilos on the bench press. Cause some players are going to get pinned under that load. Some players are, maybe they're going to manage to do it, but they're not going to recover for the next gym session or they might get exposed themselves to injury or whatever the case is. So for that same reason, you do want a little bit of a differentiated load between your uh, players when we're doing, when you're doing some running work on the pitch. Um, but again, it doesn't have to be overly complex, you know, keep it simple. Uh, especially if you're coaching a full session where you're doing skills work, you're doing all the sort of drills and everything. The last thing you want to be doing is going out and setting up six different lines of cones for the players to run to. So, you know, three different distances or whatever the case is whatever whatever is simple for you mm-hmm. um and try and try and dose that appropriately so try and have uh try and y- y- there's plenty of information out there of how to prescribe uh maximum aerobic speed intervals so you know you could use that um if you're doing tempo stuff the player should be still crossing the finish line at, at different speeds um so do try and cater for the individuals um and uh, along those same lines if you have like even at club level, you're going to have players there who are super, super fit people. And that's that that's might be that player's thing. So it's not going to make a whole lot of sense doing 10 minutes of running with that player at the end of a session if he or she is already the fittest player on the team and it's not a limiting factor in that player's game. You know, maybe give that player a chance to go off and focus on some sort of skill element or whatever the case might be, uh, some sort of robustness type exercises if they're injury prone, whatever. Um, and then... Likewise, with your your least fit players who this the their fitness is a limiting factor for their for their uh, performance. It, you probably need to do some extra work with them. So it, whether that means you know micro dosing across your three sessions of the week, getting them to do an extra five minutes each session, or giving them a handy aerobic session to do on their own. Uh, so like there's literally, especially in the the preseason period and the early stages of the year. There's nothing wrong with giving somebody a handy half hour jog or even a handy half hour of off feet conditioning um because as long as it's handy in that way uh it's not going to interfere with their recovery from any other training it's not going to interfere with the performance and training it will if anything help their recovery um and the fitter a player is the, the more they're going to recover between sessions the more they're going to recover between uh, bouts of exertion so reps on the pitch or whatever the case is uh so you it's not just a limiting factor from a performance point of view it's also a limiting factor for you know the standards of training like how how intensely can you train again getting back to that point the whole point is not the whole point but uh a, a big i suppose a big why for s and if you're looking for one would be to allow your team to train at a higher level consistently like you know um so yeah i, I would say that just just try to do some sort of assessment try uh 
cater to the to the various groups that you have within the squad and then just keep it simple mm-hmm. and trying i suppose from the from a coaching point of view try and keep the try and keep the intensity of the drills up and make sure the lads are working hard and you get you get a good conditioning blast through that as well um yeah absolutely. okay Connor, look for at this stage of the podcast with all the other guests um like i'm fascinated by kind of all different coaches different perspectives we're kind of all generally heading on the same journey but and there's so many way, different ways of getting there so i have a few questions that i've asked all the different um all the different guests that i'm going to throw out your way as well and just see your perspective on it so the first one who's the person you've worked with who has influenced your coaching style the most um <clears throat> yeah i think this was a hard one to sort of well when i came to the answer it was probably fairly obvious but uh i i probably had never um sat down to probably think about this but so i mentioned a friend of mine dahi earlier on so we boxed together uh we both started out our coaching careers together he went off to australia for a bit so he's over the other side of the world for uh quite a few years um but we both sort of you know kept pushing on in our own snc careers uh He's back over here now, thankfully. But even when he was over in Australia, we would have spoke to each other all the time. Uh, every time we get together, uh, we end up just we just talk about training the whole time, about coaching the whole time. Um, our approaches to uh, SNC are very similar, but still with enough distinction that you know we do challenge each other, challenge each other's thoughts, challenge each other's thinking. Um, but certainly, he he'd be probably the most influential, and that's from. You know, I was talking about what we're seeing that we don't agree with to, you know, what we're seeing that we think was a great idea. Uh, we've gone up and down the breadth of the country doing different workshops and courses together. Uh, so certainly, and we, we still talk to each other every week. He's with uh, the mid footballers now this year. Um, so two sort of similar setups from, um, I suppose, a standards point of view and uh, everything else between mid footballers, West mid hurlers. So, we're very much in the same boat once again and it's nice to have him to sort of bounce ideas off and uh, to chat to every week um but certainly i suppose he has been the most influential and continues to be the most influential sort of uh person on my coaching um and other than that maybe uh i had a guy here named andy that was working for me unfortunately he's traveling now but he's back in may and likewise the same thing he, he i could be doing a bit of work in the gym he comes in to do a training session and next thing I know, the boat of us lost 90 minutes because we've been chatting about training and different stuff like that. Like, you know, um, so they are very much peers. I can't say I've had too much of a, a mentoring relationship with anybody, unfortunately. Um, but uh, certainly, I think just speaking with, with uh, people that I consider to be, you know, my coaching peers. Um, and sure, I couldn't shut that off if I wanted. It's 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 one of the things that I love to do when I get up together with other coaches and stuff like, you know. Uh, but yeah, definitely, I suppose Dai has been the most influential. Yeah, it's it's a common theme across the across the shows that we've done is that peer peer learning and kind of having that peer support group is so important. Um, but it's it's important that we don't suffer from group group think as well as you said that that you know that you're different enough that you're going to challenge each other. And we have a peer group where we've kind of four coaches that are in different different uh, levels of the GA and different different experiences stuff like that. So it's it's great to have just different perspectives and it keeps you kind of thinking and. That's great to be looking when you have problems and stuff like that as well. Coaching can be a lonely place, you know, there isn't too many people you can turn to. You can't really turn, you know, it's people who don't know what they're doing. So it's great to have that support there as well that you can kind of bounce things off of. Um, 
Tell me, Connor, what does the day of a training session look like for you? Um, and just walk me through the outline of a usual session. What kind of prep you do? Or uh, so even if you want to use Westmead as an example at the moment, kind of like what kind of meetings do you have before training and that kind of stuff at the moment when you're suppose, in that pre-season, pre-season phase? Okay, yeah. Um, so there, uh, there is a bit of a difference between gym and pitch. Um, so let's say we would have had a gym session earlier on this week. Uh, that would start with... Um, I'll flick through the programs really, really quickly, basically to make sure everything's done. Um, I'll go through all the various individuals then, so there would be individual changes needed for different players based on, uh, like say this time of year, we have players involved with college, we have players who are coming back from injuries, we have uh, players who, because I'm getting to know the team, different things are popping up that I'm thinking this player would actually do better with this or that, or they have spoken to me about something that they'd rather. So uh, all those individual changes will be taking place across the day, There'll usually be some sort of communications going back and forth between me and players and coaches and the manager and stuff like that throughout the day as well. So all of that is happening in the lead up. Um, on the way down, then uh, I'll, I'll usually get there a bit early before gym sessions, especially this time of year. There's some sort of testing taking place with uh, small groups of players. So I'll, I'll get three or four players to come in. We'll get some jump profiling done in the half an hour before the gym session starts. Um, I'll usually write down a few of the key points that I want to make at the, the little brief at the start. So what, you know, what's the context for the session? Uh, where's the program going this week and why? Uh, and the other things that I might want to point out, uh, you know, good things, bad things or anything else like that, that, uh, you know, just from a coaching point of view and addressing the group. Um, and then, yeah, we'll usually just get into the gym session then after the gym session, then I'll speak to the manager, uh, usually on the way home, me and the manager might even send a couple of voice notes back and forth because whatever we've spoken about hasn't properly finished. Uh, and then, you know, you're you're trying to sort of, um, I suppose, take your learnings from that session or what you want to change or what you want to tweak or what you want to do going forward. Uh, and obviously, well, for me, the last couple of teams I've been involved with gym sessions have been on a Monday. So the next day you're already, once you're leaving the gym session, you're already trying to get ready for the uh, pitch session the next day on the Tuesday. Um, mm -hmm. Then for a pitch session, I suppose really the only key differences would be much more contact with uh, players who are rehabbing or injured and much more contact then with the physios. Uh, once the GPS system and the reporting system there is up and running, uh, there's going to be a lot of, you know, making sure that you're, you've, you've checked the acute chronic workload ratios, you've checked the wellness questionnaires and everything. So there's nothing flagging for many players. Um, and then, yeah, like I said, getting in there as early as possible, trying to touch base with the physio as early as possible because the physiotherapist might need to let you know about one or two players that uh, might have an issue or two. And then also, you know, more often than not, the physiotherapist isn't involved in the planning of the session. So I would usually go in and tell the, the physio, look, this is a change of direction heavy session or this is a high speed running heavy session. We've, you know, a couple of conditioning blocks mixed in with, you know, these hurling elements, whatever the case is. So the physio is aware then they can speak to whatever players come into them and tell them, you know, well, look, you can you can do the warm up, you can do the force conditioning block, you can uh, step out of the small side of the game, but you can red bib yourself for the open ended game at the end or whatever the case is. Uh, so try and get all that stuff ticked off, go out and set up on the pitch, uh, come back, meet all the coaches and stuff, make sure the plan that we had in place from whatever the days or weeks previous is still the plan that night obviously things change and you need to roll with that um and then same thing again pitch session will start uh pitch sessions will probably be uh not not any busier than it would be in the gym but it's a little bit more chaotic in that 
you're trying to balance between doing your your stuff with the team whether it's the the warm-up and the speed block and then you're trying to bounce you know get over and set up for the group conditioning block while you're trying to have the rehab people do their bit of conditioning or running or whatever the case is um so you're sort of flying around quite a bit in the pitch session um if i'm available then if, if i'm if i'm doing nothing then for any sort of portion of it, i would go over to wherever the drill is taking place and try to i suppose back in the day i probably i probably used to look a lot more at technique and mechanics and try to you know give people pointers on how they are running or changing direction i tend to do less and less of that as i go on i don't know if that's because uh you, there is quite a bit of research coming out showing that you know you it, it's the more expert somebody thinks they are and that the more likely they are to be wrong so uh I, t- I try to focus most of my if i'm looking at a drill or whatever i try to focus most of my coaching on that physical element so really the tackling uh players harassing each other uh players getting contact on each other so i try to you know keep my eye on that as much as possible try to pick out uh with that i would certainly be trying to pick out movement patterns and you know how they set their feet how they uh position their body and then also you know is there anything i can take away from watching them doing a natural setting that i could try and add into a manufactured drill and uh, that would help them with their tackling technique or with their with, with improving their strength and their power in the tackle um yeah so that's pretty much it cool down at the end then uh debrief with the with the coaching team the managers there's usually quite a bit to speak about after a pitch session from a point of view of you know trying to identify any players standing out ahead of a game or uh you know how the session in itself went what changes you make next time and um, how the team are going in a general sense all that sort of stuff uh and the same thing again on the way home plenty of voice <laughs> notes, maybe a phone call or two uh and just trying to you know, make sure you take the learnings from that session with you and that you're already organizing for the next session to come then yeah, I was a big fan of the old voice notes. Now I love taking the pin out of the grenade with an old voice note and seeing what comes back. Um, yeah, I know that. Yeah. <laughs> it's really interesting what you said there about the technique because I've been thinking about this a lot lately, and it's kind of like at a certain level, you know, if you have a player there is 28, 29, playing intercounty hurling, and this comes from a technical point of view with hurling as well, is like, so you could see there maybe their swing isn't as pure as another guy or. Joe, their their technique isn't maybe what a traditionalist might think it is, but it's effective for them. Is like. Is there any going to be any benefit in in working on this guy to change that? You know, uh, like if you look if you look at golf, it's just accepted that, you know, like they talk about different people's swings. Whereas in hurling, we seem to be kind of maybe caught up a little bit on having a certain technique and a certain way to hit the ball. That there kind of any variability on that is maybe seen as wrong. Whereas it's very interesting to hear that about the running technique. Now it's kind of like look, if it's working for them, it's working for them to a certain extent. Kind of a yeah now obviously there are certain things you you definitely don't want to see but i mean Mm -hmm. there's uh there's a bandwidth of sort of acceptability there and within that then you know you know you're not trying to fasten yourself too much to any sort of one way of uh you know changing direction especially changing direction because it's so chaotic uh like a a player is usually changing direction to go and do some other tasks and not just changing direction for the sake of it so whatever other tasks they're about to do is is part it's probably preoccupying them if they're change the direction to turn around and try and get a flick or a block or try and get away from somebody and get the ball off you know they have to be aware of all these other things that are going around them so you know you coming up and grabbing them by the arm and saying listen when you're coming in there maybe you should try and get a little bit lower or whatever the case that's all well and good but um i i think at the end of the day especially with speed related stuff like running and change of direction you're trying to improve the player's physiology to be more powerful uh faster at those particular movement patterns but it, it is very much a physiological based thing 
uh, and then mechanics will usually look after themselves then uh, and look mm. they're all different shapes sizes there's all sorts of things going on inside that we can't see as well so uh you know as long as they're as long as they're getting faster or they're doing it without getting injured that's the the main thing there i think like you know yeah i like that i like that phrase the bandwidth of acceptability i think i'm gonna adopt that one i like it um so what are your three non-negotiables for any team you're involved in um so yeah so i don't i don't think uh i'm not sure i have any non-negotiables as such but for me and they nearly come back to sort of me as a person uh, and what i have going on and stuff like that so one of them is definitely uh, a schedule so i need to know you know literally two months i don't need to know time i don't need to know location but i need to have a fair idea of what evenings of the week like things are going to be taking place and as much as possible for that to just stay the same I'm a big believer in rhythm and part, and I think human beings, you know, we've evolved to uh, uh, to live our lives based to a particular rhythm and a pattern. Um, so I think trying to trying to ingrain that in our training as well makes sense, rather than sort of hopping all over the place. Or if we have a game on a Saturday, we do this. But if we have a game on a Sunday, we do this. If it's Sunday morning, we'll you know change everything around the following week. If, sorry, if it's Sunday evening, we'll change everything around the following week. If it's Saturday morning, we'll keep everything as is. Uh, so I'm a big believer in keeping that rhythm the whole time. Um, and for me, running a business, being involved with other teams and everything else, uh, yeah, it, it's important for me to be able to do any sort of half-decent job that uh, that um, does a, a clear schedule there and a, a well-organized setup, basically. Um, other than that, then, is uh, I suppose having more and more the most important thing for me is is the most the most important factor for me to have any sort of success or any feeling like i can do any sort of good work with the team is the manager so having some belief in the manager not from a point of view of you know is this manager going to take us all the way or whatever the case is but that this manager is going to be the manager for me and that i am going to be the snc coach for this manager so that we can work together that we are aligned uh, that we'll challenge each other in the right ways i suppose but more importantly that they will sort of uh they will put together a setup so a, a background team other personnel uh logistics time and everything else that will allow me to do the best job possible um so that's hugely important for me now when you step away from a team connor what three things would you like the players to say about you yeah uh so fairly heavy one i suppose um <laughs> yeah i suppose well, first and foremost, I suppose that I, I cared about their progression as athletes. So, um, you know, and and I'm sure. Look, there are probably players that I've I've worked with before that maybe I maybe don't hold me in the highest regard. I hope not, but I mean, human nature would be, you know, people yeah. people don't always gel personally, and that can get in the way of a of a professional relationships as well. But uh, I think for the most part, or, or, or I'd be confident that for the most part, I've always gotten along with players. Um, you know, I've always forged good relationships with players. There's lots of players that I would have worked with in the past that I still keep in touch with to this day. But I think for the, the main thing is you're there to do a job as an SNC coach. Your job is to try and um, develop them physically so that they can, they can better play their game or better reach their potential as players. So that would be first and foremost the thing that I'd, I'd most like for them to 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 say about me was that you know I, I perform my role as an SNC coach like um, 
after that then i suppose yeah it would be that um that that uh i was a, a nice person that they enjoyed being around me that um you know even if we didn't always see eye to eye that you know they would have understood me as a person and that i understood them as a person and that uh we we would have always understood we were we were striving for a common goal and that ultimately you know uh, they would have admiration for me as a person. That's important. Um, and then I suppose most importantly, I'm probably underpinning both of those things, is that if, if they were to say they would gladly work with me again, then that's the best possible sort of, um, you know, the best testimonial you could get from a player. Like, you know, so those three things, I think. Yeah, and come come rain, hail or shine, the man will be in shorts. That's what most people say. Like, <laughs> you know what? So I would have a, a, a different, uh, a little different quirk, probably. And this is these, these are never usually conscious sort of decisions, but some sort of little different quirk that sort of reveals itself over the course of a season with different squads. So yeah, with Dublin Camogie, it was that I never, I don't think I ever wore a pair of trousers. I wore shorts. <laughs> no. To be fair, we had a particularly mild winter that year. Uh, we had yeah, one, yeah. one evening, I remember, where it was lashing snow and I was regretting that I was wearing shorts. <laughs> that we were, you committed it to, you'd already committed to it at that stage. It had become a thing at that stage. There was no going back. There was no going well, back. Well, this is the trouble. That's why I haven't done it since because once you commit to that, you are stuck to it. Like, you know, um, <laughs> my reputation for shorts preceded me. So uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know what the quirk is with Westmead this year, but the, yeah, there is always something with every squad anyway. Uh, but that was certainly There's a quirks in Westmead, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, there's a guy down Limerick here, Dara Drug, and any match you go to, it could be minus seven, and he won't even be wearing socks, man. He'll have a pair of running shorts on, boots on, no socks. He's just, I was like, I'd be looking. That's a hardy man there, yeah. S&C coaches are a different breed, man. I, I, I <laughs> You'll see me in the biggest, warmest jacket you can get. That's my non-negotiable with any team, is that I need the warmest jacket you can possibly find for me. But um, So a question, Connor. you said the last one was deep. I think this one is quite deep as well, and I think I've said before in the show that... Um, this was a question that kind of stopped me in my tracks when I was asking myself a few years ago. Um, what's your coaching ethos? Um, yeah, that is a deep one, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I probably don't sit down and sort of, you know, reflect on this stuff as much as I should because when you do, it gives you a bit, a bit of, a, I suppose, renewed focus or energy or, you know, direction or clarity with how you're doing things. So, um but certainly, I think one of the one of the most important things, and, and something that I do try to do often, is uh, you know that whole thing of know thyself. So I try to um, understand myself first and foremost as a person, uh, and I try to, as much as I can, see myself from other people's perspectives. Uh, so that I suppose helps you. It helps you be more more empathetic with other people, I suppose. But then it also it, it helps you understand maybe if you have some blind spots, you'd be able to better see them or, or see them a little bit more fully. Um, and and just to I suppose yeah, get a, a a better idea of how to comport yourself, how to communicate with people, uh, how to uh, move through the world, move through you know squads or move through your job as as a personality. Um, I'm very, I'm very uh, slaggable, obviously, because a lot of my friends and stuff would, would I, I'm the butt of the joke with loads of people. Uh, they love people for some reason around me, love doing impressions of me as well. Uh, but one of the things I notice all the time when people do impressions of me is obviously they put on the deep voice, they put on nearly a bit of an angry demeanor, they furrow their brow, that sort of stuff. So I obviously have a bit of a rest and prick face. So when I'm working with squads initially at the start, I try to be as much as possible 
definitely more bubbly than I am as a person. I try to be as disarming as I can so that people are comfortable around me. Uh, you know, even, you know, let, let any sort of nerdiness that I have in me show and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I, I suppose trying to be a bit more vulnerable so that people would be comfortable being around me um, and, and uh, that they won't be guarded around me and that, you know, uh, they'll, uh, they'll hopefully see, you know, that again like going getting back to that point that i'm there to try and do a job for them like and that uh you know they can trust me and that um uh that you know i have uh i have integrity the reasons i'm there have integrity let's say uh so yeah i suppose know thyself would be one of them uh or the main one um and and that that goes across all sorts of coaching so if i'm if i'm doing you know if you're in a pt setting or you're with a big squad if it's under 11s or if it's uh uh you know an inter-county team and and that would mean then and that that is the nature of coaching i suppose is that you wear you know many different types of masks so how i am obviously how i am with an under 13 girls team is not going to be the same with how i am with a senior men's team or an inter-county men's team you're always uh, revealing different parts of yourself and hiding different parts of yourself, I suppose, uh, in in an effort to do the best job possible, um, and and in an effort to you know create relationships with people and that sort of thing. Um, so that's the big one, and then I suppose certainly with with inter county or with the more elite teams, um, and this is I suppose this is an ethos. It's not really an ethos, but. I don't believe in catering, and this is going to sound mean, but I don't believe in catering to the lowest common denominator. I don't mean that at all in a mean way, but what I mean is, uh, you, you, especially as an s coach, probably more so for physiotherapists, but certainly s coaches get very, very caught up in the individual player. This player is injured, so we need to do this. Uh, you know, these two players are overloaded, so we need to do this. But ultimately, you're there to drive a big collective of, you know, 30 plus people on. Lots of that, you know, it, you can't make an omelette without breaking a few eggs. You can't win an inter-county championship, I don't think, I don't believe, without training on the edge, you know, teetering between that point of doing, you know, uh, just enough and uh, a little bit too much. You have to live in that little zone there, like, you know. Um, so when you're there for a collective, I think it's important then that you you do what's best for the collective as much as possible or at all times. So that would mean, and what I'm getting at here is, uh, if there are players there, let's say you're always going to have a couple of players that are prone to hamstring injuries or are uh, a little bit more prone to this type of injury or they have hip issues or whatever the case is. But that doesn't mean that you can go and wholesale change your session to suit those two players. So if it means you pull two players over over section of the session, that's fine. But as much as possible, you're trying to do the best training you can with the 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 collective of trainers that you have. Uh, so I suppose you, you could call a lowest common denominator in that sense, and that you're not trying to to lower your training standards to you know, these people that would otherwise hold you back because they're injured or whatever the case is. But on the flip side of that, like what you were saying earlier on about, uh, you know, dropping your training intensity after a championship match, you only have 14, you don't even have anywhere near 14 players that have played a full two halves of a match. So Mm -hmm. 
not slipping into, you know, moving our gym session on a Monday because, you know, the lads are tired after the match. Yeah, well, maybe 13 players or 12 players are tired after the match, but there's a huge cohort of other players there that didn't get any work or didn't get enough work. And they're the ones that are important to keep driving on, to keep the whole thing pushing on. You know, you don't, you don't, like, I know you have, you're saying of, you, you don't, uh, you don't perform to the level of your ability, you fall to the level of your training. In much the same way, I think you don't, uh, you don't perform to the level of your best players. You fall probably to the level of your 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 back fifteen, let's say. Uh, mm -hmm. So you need to keep them driving on. You need to keep them pushing the front players. Uh, you need to keep them engaged, feeling like they have something to train for and that sort of stuff. So that'd be a big one for me with a squad as well. Is to is to always try and cater for. Uh, the group that is available to train and to train in the fullest capacity and not try to not try to limit ourselves and it can be very very hard i know from even experience with the club team this year we had lots of lads off of college and with the uh, under 20 panel and with the senior county panel um, and we just ended up we were playing leinster league and playing uh dublin league club matches um and we were just running into injuries, falling short on players, and you get you, you get into a loop then of doing training sessions that are you know you're you're trying to mind people in training as much as possible, trying not to you know do too much speed work in case you you get a hamstring injury, whatever the case is, and then you know two months further down the line you have this unfortunately detrained squad that uh, mm -hmm. as an S and T coach you probably should have been figuring out some other way to to try and drive them on the whole time, like you know uh, it is very very hard, but. That is something that I try to, to bear in mind as much as possible as well. Mm -hmm. There's a couple of interesting things there, I suppose, Scott. It's like you're kind of saying, without well, paraphrasing now, that you kind of fake it sometimes with teams. I think for coaches coming in or listening to this, sometimes you have to fake it as a coach on the field as well, as in from an energy point of view. Like I'm a big believer that the, like, the head coach or the manager should be setting the tone energy-wise. And some days you could have had a stinker of a day at work. You might be late coming out of the office or something like that. And you're rocking down the train, you're like, geez, there's anywhere I'd rather be than here now. But you just, just simply can't bring that negative energy into the group or the session will be wasted. And you do have to kind of put on a performance sometime as a coach where you're on the tips of your toes and you're you know, you're giving it everything. So it, yeah. it might come as a surprise some people when they hear it saying you, know, you have to put on a different personality to a certain extent or fake it sometimes with a group to make it work. But you kind of do, like you kind of have to you kind of have to try and bring them on the journey initially. I think it, over time, your natural personality and character will will invariably come through anyway. But you do you do kind of have to fake it a little bit sometimes, like it's yeah, it's yeah. And it's not it's not inauthentic. It's not like you know, it's not like you're being uh, you're being fake even even though you, you're using the term. You have to fake it. It's mm -hmm. it's that you're trying to like for me. I would consider myself a bit of an introverted person, but you have to put yourself out there to. Uh, to sort of address the squad in the first place, but also, like I said, to disarm disarm people around you and to make people comfortable around you. You can't be shut off. You can't be this sort of a, this quiet sort of reserved person. So I have to sort of put on a bit more of a personality, but it's, it, it is actually very easy to do because this is my passion. So working with athletes and teams is my passion. It's very easy for me to go from being an introvert person to having lots of extrovert qualities when I need it because, uh, because it, it's, it, it's for one thing it's for something that i'm incredibly passionate about but it's to serve a a, a purpose that uh you know it, it is a pure purpose in the end it's not it's not like you know there's not a there's there's no malice behind sort of any pretense that you might put on like you know mm. no, that's that's very interesting so this is probably the time you've been waiting for connor 
I'm going to turn turn the mic over to you. You can hit me with any three questions you want, and maybe uh, I'll find out from these three questions whether I treated you well in Dublin or not. We'll see what comes <laughs> down the line. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll go with uh, the the deepest one first. So the other two are probably a little bit more lighthearted anyway. Uh, and and I suppose this one follows on from what we were just what we were just speaking about. But what what aspects of your your own personality or your own character do you feel you need to minimize or you need to shut off or you need to hide away from people in order to be the most effective coach you can so sort of yeah. a lot i suppose along the same lines of what we were just discussing but for your yeah. point of view what are the things that you sort of you, you you keep hidden away because you need to do a job like, you know yeah i hadn't i hadn't thought about this much uh but when, when and obviously like we do we do pre-prepare these questions so yeah. um like when you said well, not too early like, now i sent these on too late <laughs> enough i know I really started thinking about it. So I, I think one of my big strengths as a manager is that I'm a warrior in that you know, you're talking about scheduling there and so what time is the bus leaving and what are we doing and everything and opposition prep and everything is I, I love to have all that stuff boxed off. Like it's like, I think it's a huge strength of mine, but I suppose you can't come into a dressing room then and let your natural warrior shine out like that. You kind of have to put, forward a kind of a calm cool uh exterior to players because you don't want to be coming into the dressing room going right lads has, has the has the cater definitely come joe are we on time is the warmer where's connor who's setting up the cones what's he doing so you kind of have to just go right shut all that down and, and look a lot a lot of that comes from trusting the people working around you as well that you know once you like you said routines once you get into the routine you know by the time we finished up with dublin like it was just the case you just rock on into the dressing room you just knew everything was going to be there the dressing was set up everything was there so that helps as well um and i suppose my natural coaching style on the pitch is really high energy energetic probably borderline manic uh you know colin cod says i'm 95 percent intensity five percent technique um so like that's fine on the training ground but you can't be like that on the sideline then because like you'll just wind your own players up you get you know referees offside stuff like that so i suppose just i've worked an awful lot and would have worked a lot with paula Hearn just on just trying to be cool and calm on the line and different like kind of little mental preps and techniques and stuff like that just to hide my natural i suppose fieriness <laughs> it does come out sometimes but i think uh more often than not if you're kind of if you keep a cool calm and collected nine times out of ten you're far better off you're able to make better decisions and stuff like that so yeah, my natural worry, worry, uh, worry mentality and my fireness are kind of two things I kind of have to keep in check to to help me perform a little bit better, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, very good, good stuff. Want to move on, yeah? Do yeah, yeah. Or if so, I haven't answered the question well enough for you, I mean, you can you can go you can dive further if you want. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering how, at what stage when I was with you did you ever shut that personality <laughs> trade off <laughs> it's actually after I worked with you I think. <laughs> okay uh, yeah so a nice one so what movie has most impacted you as a coach so not a book or anything specifically a movie yeah yeah this is interesting um i was going to go with jerry Maguire or space jam or something like that <laughs> but funnily enough um i actually read the book as well but i did watch the film um was the damned united so brian clough mm. and like he obviously was an incredibly successful manager he could only dream of being as successful as he ever was but he did some bananas things purely fueled by ego that actually kind of really cost him during his career um 
So like in, I think when he took over as, uh, or when he was with Derby after they won the, after they won the league, he had such a rivalry with Dan Revy that he played a full team against them in a league match that didn't matter three days before they played Juventus in the European Cup semi-final. So I just thought like this was a guy who was putting his ego and his want to just pull one over on another lad completely ahead of the best interest of the team. So I think there's there's a massive learning in that, in that like, you know, it's always the team first. It's never about you. And I know people think there's kind of this cult of the manager and the ego and all this. Genuinely isn't any successful manager, I can guarantee you, is putting everything ahead of himself. I think that was a, that's a massive learning from that. Um, but then, like also, I suppose, I used to kind of, early in my coaching career, I'd go into a team and I'd have a set style in my head and I'd be like, right, this is how we're going to play hurling, guys. And you're kind of going nearly, like, I'm going to teach these lads how to hurl now. And like you, you really don't do that like the saying back always you, you don't need to teach them to suck eggs like you're you're just kind of you're 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 you know you're trying to get things organized and do things a little bit different but like Clough made that mistake like he went into the Leeds United dressing room and was like right guys I know you've won everything the last couple of years but like you were a disgrace you were filthy you've done it the wrong way throw your medals away and that kind of stuff I was like yeah. Jesus so there's a learning there as a coach as well is that when you take over a team and it's especially one that's been fairly successful like your first 30 days should be just about getting to know lads and getting a feel for the place and kind of go, right, well, maybe I could make a small bit of an improvement there or, geez, they're really good at this. Let's make sure that we don't lose this in the transition from manager to manager or whatever and not go in, accuse lads of being cheats and tell them to throw their medals in the in the bin and stuff like that. So, yeah. 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 Look, it's a, it's a great story, the Damned United, but it's also, it's actually quite interesting. There's a lot you could take away on what not to do. And that's what, yeah. there's a lesson in that in itself is as successful as Clough was, he made loads of mistakes as well. So, um, yeah, it's a really yeah. interesting one. Yeah. yeah. Can I uh, put you on the spot with a follow-up? You can. Right. So, th- now they don't have to be, obviously, have impacted you, but even that, can you think of any films that aren't sports-based films, but that might still provide lessons to coaching, let's say? So, it doesn't have to be one that impacted you to a great degree, but even just on the spot, can you think of any? Jeez, that's interesting. Like, so that's what huge... I try to yeah, when I tried to think of it, when I thought of this question, I tried to think of a few that weren't sports related, like, you know, so what yeah. were because the sports related ones are probably the more obvious ones, you know? <laughs> yeah. And like, I suppose you know yourself, like, like sport is so political, like the GA is a political animal in the background. So you're watching Succession lately and Very just good, all yeah. the maneuvering and the politics and everything going on in the background, you've been already taking notes going, geez, this is how you deal with a county board or this yeah. is how you deal yeah. with a club committee or whatever. Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah, so like I think, yeah, I, I think it depends for me. For me, it depends on what time of the year I'm watching something, right? So, hmm. like, if it's October, November, and it's been a long season or whatever, I'll just sit on the couch and I'll go, I'm just going to veg out here now and I have no interest. It just needs to entertain me for an hour and a half and get a laugh out of it or whatever. But then, and I'm definitely in that mode at the moment now, I think a switch kind of flips in your head where all of a sudden everything you're doing you're nearly pulling something out of it going, geez, that was interesting. Yeah. Like, and you'd be writing stuff down like, I wonder, could I use that with a team? Or, you know, yeah. like it's it's kind of, you'd be in a restaurant and maybe their process isn't right. And <laughs> they brought out the meal in the wrong order. Oh, geez, they need to improve their processes here. Kind of stuff, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. I think for me, I don't know, like I'm not a huge film guy. I'm more of a book guy. So that's, it's a really hard question. But I think it depends on the time of the year. At certain times of the year, I could pull a learning for coaching out of anything. And then at other times of the year, I just... Just trying to switch off and have no interest in this case, kind of purely entertainment. But, um, yeah, like, yeah, 
No, uh, yeah, tough question. I probably haven't answered it very well, but... Um, no, you have, yeah. No, yeah. Succession was a good answer. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy with that. Yeah. Yeah. Succession, succession, like, there's some, so many lessons in that, even, like, when you look at, like, the the relationships between the family members and everything that you could apply to even a team setting, like, you know? Yeah, and, like, when you were talking, we were talking about Club GA earlier, like, you know, you're starting to get, there's five or six brothers and cousins on a team and stuff like that, and it's, yeah. it's always gets funny story, actually, I managed... Arvid Rovers, no, not Arvid, Jesus, I get shot. Uh, Galti Rovers in Tipperary when I was really, really young. I was only about 24. I ended up managing a senior football team. And we played Aherlow in the first round of the West Tip Championship. Uh, Aherlow and Galti Rovers are neighbours, like, and there was a huge row in it. These two lads in particular absolutely boxed the heads off each other. And it was all separate anyway. Game finished up. I'm not sure if we won or lost. I think we might have won. A point and I was Liam Kearns. Lord mercy him, he's passed away. I know it was maybe manager of Arlo at the time, can't remember. But, um, anyways, game was over after, and we were kind of finished up, whatever. And I see the two boys that boxed the head off each other sitting into the same car, dressed to the nines in suits, two first cousins off their wedding. <laughs> I was like, holy shit. So, yeah, you're talking about succession, like these two boys. Yeah. And you know what? They probably went at it again at the wedding after seven or eight points later on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I won't name them, though, but I'd say. If there's anyone from West Tip listed, though, they'll be able to figure out who the two boys were fairly handy enough, I'd say. So, <laughs> but yeah, madness. Madness. Okay, good stuff. Right, so last one. So uh, it's 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 All-Ireland final day. You've managed a team to the All-Ireland final. Or you've coached a team, you've managed or coached, I don't mind, right? So you've, you've been involved at a high level in the backroom team. They're at an, they've made it to an All-Ireland final. So tell me about your ideal morning before you go and meet up with the team. And what I'm getting at more so is obviously I don't need to know about you brushing your teeth or having your shower or anything, but anything <laughs> that you might do that's different because of the day that's in it. So what what are the little things that you'd sort of and and I suppose trying to trying to see would you be somebody who tries to make the most of that morning? Obviously you're gonna do your bits of work that you need to do, but tries to make the most and enjoys the morning or do you get caught up and try to, you know, worry too much about yeah. the sort or that sort of stuff. So that, No, it's very that, very interesting. Yeah. Like very, very interesting. I suppose the because like we'll go back to what I said earlier about being a warrior. Like you know, but like I love to have that Thursday night management meeting and your scenario sheets and everything. And you know, I like you send a few communication messages, logistics messages on a Friday. I like to wake up on a Saturday or if it's a Sunday for a game. Obviously, Sunday for an Ireland show. So if you are learning finds, I'm involved. Sunday morning for for a game with everything boxed off. So I do try and enjoy the enjoy the morning. Um, no, obviously it depends if you're staying in a hotel or that, but I do remember being uh, in a hotel for an Ashbourne final because the semi-final final was the same weekend and just feeling completely, uh, I don't know, suffocated by the whole experience that I couldn't get out and just get out of the bubble and stuff like that. But obviously, look, when, when we were with Dublin, I used to just love getting up early, going for the breakfast, having an absolute feed, carving up so you could ball referees out of it, but then stay camp so you wouldn't. Um <laughs> Big feed of pancakes, pancakes, bacon, maple syrup, heap of coffee. And then just love that. I suppose I love that initial period where the players are starting to arrive and you're just kind of having the chats and everyone's in kind of great form and nobody is really focused on the focused on the, the game just yet. Um, and then I do, like, for the whole morning of the game, as much as you possibly can, try not to think about it. Um, but we played a few big games at Dublin, like, and, like, when we're going to Crow Park, it's like when you see that first glimpse of Crow Park up over the up over the houses and you're coming down uh, down through Drumcondra, it's kinda of like woof. It kinda of starts to hit in, in it, right? Like you're kinda of, we're getting in game mode here now and and, and that. But uh 
yeah, look, walk out on the pitch then and just have a look around and get a feel for the place. And maybe about 90 minutes beforehand, then you're kind of going, right, you gather the troops here, gather the management, last kind of chat through the scenarios and you kind of get the game game face on. But look, as much as possible, and look, the bigger the game, the harder it is to keep it out of your head. But as much as possible, I do try and enjoy the morning of big games and go for breakfast. You were, you were at plenty of those breakfasts as well, Connor. We had a few we had a few regular spots around uh, around Clondalk and that we used to go to. Yeah. Um, so. Nobody yeah, else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, come here. Before, let's say before we would have even met up then for a breakfast, uh, mm. are you doing anything that morning to distract yourself? Do you read? Do you, are you somebody that goes and does a bit of meditation or reading? Or do you, are you... Yeah, walking walk. usually. Walking yeah. usually, yeah. If we're down here in Limerick, we'll usually go down to UL. If it's a game that's close by or whatever, and just go for a stroll around the campus and mm. try on a few tunes or whatever. But like, it, it is hard to kind of just, like... You know yourself when you're involved in something it nearly consumes you like it's 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 hard going um and like you'd be trying to avoid maybe going home as well like you know because my old dad is mad into it and yeah she'd be going home and the old dad be asking you about it and the mother be asking you about it and <laughs> so, how the players feel the ones that are still living at home it must be very tough on them to sort of you very know. tough and especially like you know when they're, they're if they go down to their club for a puck around or whatever and every yeah. fella below is asking them well how are you fixed for saturday and how you going? Geez, you're going great. Best look and all, and it kind of like it yeah, just. Yeah. I even see, obviously, with Anna here, like we barely talk about GA, like because yeah. sure, every time we leave the house, someone's asking you about it. So the last thing you want is be sitting down watching Succession. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, go, well, yeah. so are you playing wing forward in midfield the weekend or what's the cracker? Yeah, so, <laughs> it's oh, like that. That. yeah, yeah. And even you for me, I like uh, say. When I when I'm at home before I've done anything, I like getting up early and having actually just time to myself. I'll make a coffee at home and sit there either in silence or I might have uh, something that I don't want to watch on in the background of the TV. And it's literally just time to sit there, maybe try and enjoy the coffee, like and enjoy that bit of quietness and stuff before. Because even when say when we we would have met up and had uh, breakfast and stuff, we're talking about the game. So even <laughs> though we're having a, we're relaxing and you know we're we're trying to enjoy that little bit of a moment, it's still um. It's you're still semi in game mode by that stage, like you know. So uh, something something nice and quiet on my own was always be a nice way to start today and make sure that uh, yeah your your mind is right and uh, the energy levels and everything else is right as well. Yeah, yeah, no, that's it. Like it's it's important to know that Paul Paul Hearn is going to be the last guest on um, on the on oh, the series, yeah. and uh, he's doing a PhD at the moment that I'm very interested in about like. Um, how coaches and managers can prepare themselves right for for performing on match day um oh, and, and for training sessions and he interviewed before he interviewed a lot of coaches but part of it geez, i hope i'm not, there's no gdpr around this though but part of it is that there's going to be an actual like a method of training coaches so you're like there's nothing really there to train you mentally so there'll actually be a training yeah. sessions that you can go through to prepare yourself mentally for games so it kind of goes back into you know, your match day prep and all this so yeah, yeah. it's definitely something we'll expand on with paul um as long as i haven't like broken any gdpr or anything you know i'm really sure i did sign something before i did the interview so i hope i'm not in trouble but um yeah look it's, it's I, I think it's something i really believe in like even from a fueling point of view which i'd be laughing there but i think like fueling up properly for the day so that like you're able to make decisions that you're actually not yeah so, like that you have your brain power anything and, that will upset your stomach or anything else yeah, like that geez, well. yeah, that's all yeah. That comes into, yeah yeah if it's there are game, there, regardless of what yeah regardless of what uh what like i would always consider snc is is a tertiary type of role like so if the team can take to the field 
uh, without the S&C coach. They can't take to the field without their gear. So they need the kit, man. They can't take to the field without, you know, uh, having been managed to that position in the first place by the manager. They can't take to the field without having the skills of the game. But they could conceivably take to the field without the S&C coach. So I, I don't put myself up there as being this, you know, important figure in any sort of background. But even at that, the nerves that I would feel on him, the day of an important game like you know you would have to sort of mind what you're eating and make sure that uh you know you're not going to give yourself an upset stomach on the coach <laughs> on the way to the game that's the last thing <laughs> yeah and look it is it's i suppose it it comes down to ego a little bit as well but like it definitely being say if i'm the head coach or it says use the sc coach you don't feel as much pressure right obviously you're in, you're as invested in it as everybody else but i think when you're the manager and you're the guy on the sideline and so when it's in Dublin, we are Dublin are writing the articles and it's like yeah. it's Adrian O'Sullivan's Dublin and it's like yeah, yeah. <laughs> whether it's been good or bad, then the next sentence follows that, you know. Well that's um, the other thing, yeah. And you have the well, when you're with an intercounty setup, you're the manager with an intercounty setup, you have to contend with you have to do media before and after and all this other stuff that sort of adds, I suppose, to uh to the stress of the day and to the nerves of the day. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't have appreciated uh, that before, I'm sorry. A funny story with the I don't think I've ever told this uh, in public, but uh, we played we played Watford in the championship my first year with Dublin up in Parnell Park and we'd beaten them about three weeks previously in the league playoff and they absolutely pummeled us. Like uh, they it was horrendous. Like three eighteen to seven points or something. They absolutely destroyed us. And afterwards this guy came over and he asked me to do an interview and I think it was Jerome O'Connell's or Jerome Quinn's brothers, Jerome that does the recording. So I was waiting, 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 and they interviewed everyone before they came to me. So I'm fuming now. It's roasting, and we've been pummeled. Like. So he comes over, and he says, okay, could you say your name for the camera? And I'm like, uh, what do you mean? And he's like, could you, who are you? And I was like, is it, like, I was kind of looking around going, is, is, like, is, this, <laughs> like, is this a wind-up? It's like, you've just, like, I've, I've banished over across my frontier. You've just literally asked me for an interview. And I was like, oh, so, uh, so um, look, tough day at the office, but... Uh, at least you get to play down next week. I was like, sorry? I was like, yeah, at least at least you get to play down next week. I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, sure, you look after them handy enough. And like they're obviously from Northern Ireland or whatever. Yeah. I was like, are you serious? I was like, down like lost the water for by a point, we've just lost the cork by a point. We've just been pummeled. Like, on what planet are are we the favourites? He says, Okay, okay. But at least you must be happy with the work rate. And I just went bananas with him. I was like, Are you for real? <laughs> <laughs> said we've just got hammered like we've been absolutely useless we've just spoken in the huddle about how our work rate wasn't enough I was like what game are you actually watching he's like thanks very much and that was it and i was going to email jerome quinn the other day going you don't have that footage by any chance to you because like i'd love to watch it back but but that was just the pressure of everything like it was just everything just exploded you're kind of going you know you're the manager of the county team you've just been hammered like big crowd there like the expectations were high because we'd beaten them in the in the league and and next thing this guy is just going and you're like and it just went <laughs> so it's like, yeah. yeah so the, the pressure is different like you don't know as, as you said as the snc coach as the head coach as a sports psychologist you never have to deal with any of these things but like look there's a learning yeah. in that as well as and even at that like yeah 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 but i mean the same thing again like as in i'm thinking even when i'm even when i'm trying to uh I suppose empathize with you there and say, Oh yeah, it must be very hard to stress. I'm not even considering you getting stupid questions. That's that's me just thinking about you getting normal questions. So when somebody yeah. comes at you with that sort of stuff as well, then yeah. we played Wexford last year, remember they scored two one in the first five minutes. We were seven points yeah. down after five minutes. And you might go, So um you conceded two one in the first five minutes. Were you worried? Like, I was yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
How the fuck could you not be worried? Like, in a must yeah. game, you're seven points down after five minutes, you're leaking goals. Like, that was, yeah. That's the next question. Yeah. Will you follow they're expecting, they're really expecting you to do the usual, uh, the usual sort of management no, thing. Just saying, no, no, look, yeah. we had full faith in the game plan. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Paul Hearn, our sports psychologist, actually spoke in the dressing room about being seven points down early and leaking goals. Yeah. So we, oh, we kind of reacted as we thought we would to that, you know. Ah, stop, look. <laughs> Some, sometimes you just love to shake, lads, and go, oh, come on, boys. Yeah. So you really ask, it, ask me this um, Look, Connor, last question. This has been excellent. Last question. 20 years' time, you hang up the... Uh, it says whistle here, but you hang up the whistle and the shorts for the last time. Is there a one achievement you'd like to have in the bag? Um, like the answer to that is no, I don't think so. Uh, I think, I suppose, like with it, like because they're all for an SNC coach, it's very much around that sort of development piece. Uh, you, you know, you can hang your you can hang your hat on other successes, uh, other than whether you've achieved, you know. Uh, let's say in in all Ireland win or whatever the case is. Uh, now, obviously, it's incredibly frustrating if you're with a team and they're going the wrong way, even despite your best efforts as an SNC coach. But that comes down to, I think, again, recognizing you mightn't be the SNC coach of that team, and that team mightn't be the team for you. Or again, what I was saying, more more likely that that manager might be the manager for you, and you mightn't be the the coach for that manager. Um, because there are certainly I've been involved in squads before where. I think uh, because, like I'm saying, I for for one reason or another, me and not that we didn't get along. I like I, I have no problem getting along with people, but I couldn't do my best work under particular managers. And I'm sure there would have been another SNC coach out there who could have dealt much better with. Let's say if if it was, uh, you know, it, the organisation of it wasn't what I would expect. But the manager might have had a good reason, a, 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 you know, a, a sort of, um, yeah, the, the manager might have been able to justify why the schedule was jumping around, but it just mm. wouldn't, I, I couldn't do my best work in that scenario. There could have, there was definitely, I know, some other SNC coaches out there who probably could have done a better job than me. So I think it can be frustrating, obviously, when, when the team aren't getting the wins and aren't, you know, uh, progressing forward and at the end of the day it's sports or the result you know everything's recorded and wins or losses or whether you've won or whether you lost the whole thing so obviously you do want that but I think from an SNC coach point of view I don't think anybody working in SNC in Ireland is going out there thinking I want to be the SNC coach for an all-Ireland winning team because we know we know there's so much more goes into making that win than the the SNC or the sports science again we're like a tertiary aspect of that preparation um, and much more you know, like the, the, I suppose the fruits of our labor are recognized uh, way after we've done them. You know, it's not like what, what an SNC coach does with a team on the week of the All Ireland final is going to make the difference, really. You know, uh, it's, it's all down to, like I said, that development piece, the years of work and everything else. So I don't really know if there's any one key thing that I could say I want to have accomplished that. But um, certainly, uh, I think. If I was able to, you know, and I actually don't even know when I will go away. Like, you know, I don't know if I'll ever stop. I'll probably be just this weird owl lad that's still trying to coach, <laughs> coach, coach all these like, you know, unbelievable athletes and these committed people. And, you know, they don't want me around or whatever. They just keep me around because, because <laughs> he's always been, oh, that lad, he's always been here. He's been here. Yeah. Years. Yeah. But, uh, but I think anyway, yeah, I think the, the big thing for me would be able to look back and say, you know, a couple of things, mainly that I, 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 did the best work I could 
and then having gained those few lessons from being involved with teams that again there was nothing wrong with this setup it was i didn't match the setup being able to recognize in time often enough if if something isn't right well look i should move away and let somebody else do this and i should move on to something else or with another team or with another uh another group um yeah to be able to to be able to look back and say that i when when i was presented with decisions i took the right decisions and other than that i did the best work possible like you know uh that's all i can say really yeah not not yeah all you can do is do the next job to the best of your ability and see where it takes it. I mean, margin, yeah. margins are so tight in elite sports you can't plan for much more than that yeah yeah and look even from a bit and it probably it's probably counterintuitive because so much of snc is about assessing where you know a group are at or a person is at putting a you know one of these smart type plans in place and trying to get them towards their goal but and i, and I would consider myself obviously very good at that aspect of things mm-hmm. but for some reason from a business point of view and even from a career planning point of view i don't i can't say i'm i'm very strategic like you know i just an opportunity comes my way i take it and i try and do the best job i can uh and over time i think that snowballs to you know you get referrals and you know you hopefully make a good name for yourself and you get other other opportunities and uh mm-hmm. like i said yeah the main thing being that when you step away people say you know you 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 help them you help develop them uh you help them progress and uh that they'd work with you again that'd be the main thing yeah yeah, I'd certainly, I'd certainly work with you again, and that's for sure. But, but Connor, that's an absolutely <laughs> top class. Look, if anyone is wondering where they can catch Connor, Armored Performance, and it's Armored Performance on Instagram as well, is the gym. It's class gym out in Round Towers in Clondalk in there. So anyone around, thanks. knocking around South Dublin, uh, highly recommend it. Connor, yeah, thanks very go. much. Top class. Top thanks class. very much, Adrian. Cheers.